The following audio presentation is from Parkwood Baptist Church. The purpose of Parkwood Baptist Church is to glorify God by laboring together for the growth of all believers while going with the gospel to all peoples. More information about Parkwood Baptist Church is available at parkwoodonline.org. That's parkwoodonline.org. Good morning and welcome to our time of worship together and our time as we study the Word of God together. So if you take your Bible and turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 3 and chapter 4, page 953 in a chair Bible. That's a Bible underneath a chair uh, close by you. Uh, while you're taking a Bible, uh, you also may notice if you're a guest that there is a connect card in back of one of the chairs. So if you're a guest today, we'd like to invite you to take that card, fill out the information on it, and at the end of our service, if you drop the guest card in the offering plate, that would let us know that you were here worshiping with us today and a part of our service. also want to welcome those of you who are joining us online. We continue today in 1 Corinthians. Next Sunday, we'll be in 2 Corinthians. So those studying along with us, which we encourage each week to use the material as you prepare for worship and for growth group, you'll be moving to 2 Corinthians just for one week, and then we'll come right back to 1 Corinthians. So we're chapter Three and four, but I'm going to only read two verses in our beginning. 1 Corinthians 4, 1 and 2. So I invite you to stand as I read the word of the Lord. This is how one should regard us as servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. Moreover, it is required of stewards that they be found trustworthy. Lord, I pray now that I will do what this text instructs, that as your servant, I would steward the mysteries of God, and I pray for your people, that as servants of Christ, they would receive, and that they would seek in their life to steward the mysteries of God as faithful servants. Lead us in the giving and receiving of your word. In Christ's name, amen. This text is about how we size each other up. It's about arrogance and boasting and humility. We are, by nature, part of our sin nature is we size people up and we treat people in different ways based off what we think is important or not important. Our culture and the Corinthian culture were masters at sizing people up. So, in our world today, if you're around somebody, you meet them for the first time, you may ask their name, hopefully you will, you may ask where they're from, but you're going to get to the question, what do you do? And if you're together with people who all do the same thing, you're going to want to know, where did you go to school? We want to find out where you were educated. So we're, we're working out sizing people up. Now, as far as I'm concerned... Um, when people ask me that question, my answer is either, either a conversation killer. What do you do? I'm a pastor. Oh. It's either a conversation killer or it, it's a condescension creator. What do you do? I'm a pastor. That's nice. <laughs> This week, I'll go to a pastor's gathering, a convention of pastors, a conference. 
I will not be there one hour before somebody will ask me how big our church is. This has invaded us everywhere. This sizing up arrogance of how we treat each other. Now this text gets to how a local church, the church at Corinth, was responding with an arrogant attitude towards spiritual leaders and how it was affecting how their church was functioning. So here's the main idea today. Spiritual leaders and the congregation of believers must reject arrogance and humbly recognize that they are servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of, mystery of God. So the first thing we see is that spiritual leaders and the congregation of believers must reject arrogance. The first paragraph at the end of chapter 3 sets this up. Let no one deceive himself. If anyone among you thinks he is wise in this age, let him become a fool that he may become wise. For the wisdom of the world is folly with God, for it is written, he catches the wise in their craftiness. And again, the Lord knows the thoughts of the wise, they are, that they are futile. So let no one boast in men, for all things are yours, whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas or the world or life or death or the present or the future. All are yours. You are Christ and Christ is God's. There's a lot here, but so that we keep all of this thought together at the end of chapter three and chapter four, I just want us to focus on three commands, three imperatives that Paul gives to the Corinthian church. The first one is the first few words. Let no one deceive himself. So here's what he's saying. Stop receiving and feeding yourselves false ideas. Stop telling yourself you are something and stop listening to others tell you that you are something. So he's speaking to the spiritual leader and the congregation. He's saying that self-deception is overcome by recognizing that the wisdom of the world is foolishness to God. If anyone among you thinks he is wise in this age, let him become a fool that he may become wise for the wisdom of the world is folly with God. He catches the wise in their craftiness. Now listen, there's some of you who think you got it all figured out. You got your wife tricked or your husband tricked and your family tricked and your church tricked. Listen to me. God says he catches the wise in their craftiness. He will find you out. It's the hide of arrogance to hide. You also think you're smarter. The Lord knows not only what you're doing, he knows what you're thinking because the Lord knows who you are. So let him define who you are and stop deceiving yourself. Second imperative, let him become a fool. It's the end of verse 18. Let him become a fool. So following the command, don't deceive yourself, he says become fools. So this sums up in a positive way how those guilty of self-deception move forward. That foolishness here involves focusing on Christ and his cross and the selfless lifestyle that it entails. So we are to embrace Jesus as the crucified one and follow him. It's astounding here 
In this text, it's astounding as we understand the gospel that Jesus, who died in our place for our sin on the cross, he endured the hostility of the cross to save us. How then could we become an arrogant people? How how is this possible? That we as his people must understand that we're to become fools. What does that mean? We're to become fools as the world sees it. So when Jesus said in Luke chapter 9, verse 23, if anyone would come after me, let him take up his cross and follow me, take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, and whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. What does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses or forfeits himself? Now, I, I say this carefully, but sincerely, and I'm not, I'm not trying to be digging at someone here. But what's it going to be like for a preacher who stands before God, who convinced God's people to give money so he could buy a jet? What's, what's that going to be like? That's counterintuitive to the gospel. It's counterintuitive to who we are as Christians. We buy into this arrogant prosperity thinking when Jesus preached something else. The Bible's teaching something else. Here's the last command. Now this one comes, if they hadn't already punched you, here's the punch. Let no one boast in men. No one. The word boast means to take pride in, to glory in. You don't need to line up with one spiritual leader or another. That's what he's saying. Don't you boast in Paul or Apollos and say, I'm, I'm with him. He, 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 says, he says to them, whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas or the world or life or death or the present or the future, all are yours. You're not benefited because you think you're lining up under Apollos. God has given to his church all of these gifted people to lead you. They're yours. You don't sign up with one. Don't boast in one. Don't boast in what you have as if you've got more than someone else. It all belongs to the Lord. It is the Lord's will as to how he distributes these things. And then he says we are Christ's. We belong to him. And Christ is God, that means we are united in Christ. We are a part of his body. We have been bought with a price. We've been saved by his grace. So, arrogance in any form among us is unbecoming. It is out of place for any follower of Christ. And hear me, it is out of place for any church. Amazes me. People say things like this. I'm proud of my church. What? You're proud of your church. You know what you're saying? Compared to other churches, I'm proud of mine. I don't want to be a part of a church I'm proud of. I want to be a part of a faithful church. I want to be a part of a Christ-centered church. People ask me sometimes, they'll say, well, I see the parking lot there on Sunday. What are you people doing? Preaching the Bible, telling people about Jesus. I think we got some kind of secret formula that we're paying people to come here or something. I don't know. We just preach Christ. Now, if we're going to reject arrogance, we don't operate in a vacuum. We can't just reject arrogance. There's something we've got to embrace. So spiritual leaders in the congregation of believers must humbly recognize 
that they are servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. So we don't think highly of ourselves. We think rightly of ourselves. Here's who we are. We're servants of Christ and we're stewards of the mysteries of God. Verse 1. This is how one should regard us. You shouldn't boast and your spiritual leaders shouldn't boast in yourself and you shouldn't boast about each other. We should regard one another as servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. Now, Paul's primarily talking about spiritual leaders here, but we'll see this applies to all believers as we move through the rest of the text and apply it other places in Scripture. Two things, servants of Christ. We are subordinates. There's a word picture in the Greek here. We're under rowers. You've seen a movie at some point in your life where there are men in the belly of a ship, usually two or three sitting beside each other, all have a hold of an oar, tugging at the oar, at the beat and the sound of the drum. Now the guy with the, the, the drum, even the guy who may be walking through with some kind of weapon to keep them moving, all of those people in the belly of the ship are subordinates. All of them. There's only one captain. The captain is the one who's directing where the ship's going. We only have one captain here. The rest of us are subordinates. We are servants of Christ. We're under rowers. And that's how we must see ourselves. By the way, I, I didn't just preach this to you. Monday in staff meeting, we went over this. We reminded ourselves it's who we are. The members of this staff were servants of Christ. <laughs> this is free. If any staff member ever tells you this is not their job, would you let me know? <laughs> we are servants of Christ. And we are stewards of the mysteries of God. Some of you watch Downton Abbey. Cawson. The manager of the household. Let me tell you some truths about Carson and any manager, any steward of a household. He owns nothing. Nothing. He doesn't own a thing. But he's responsible for all of it. That's a heavy thought. Jesus is saying, as it relates to the church, I, as any pastor, any spiritual leader, I don't own anything. This is not my church. I try my best not to say that. It doesn't belong to me. It doesn't belong to you either. We are simply stewards, and we are stewards of the mysteries of God. We have been placed in charge and responsible of crucial, important things. And that is to make the mysteries of God, the Word of God, the Gospel of God, to make that known. He primarily does that through spiritual leaders in the church, but it is shared with all believers as we make the Gospel known. Now he presses these two things through the rest of chapter 4. Servants and stewards. He starts with stewards. And the first thing you're going to see is that all stewards of the mysteries of God are accountable. Moreover, it is required of stewards that they be found faithful. That they be found trustworthy, discharging their duties. Verse 3. With me, it is a very small thing that I should be judged by you or any human court. In fact, I do not even judge myself. He's not saying that we should not apply the Word of God to the ministry of spiritual leaders. We should. We must. We must take the Word of God and apply it to spiritual leaders and to one another. He did so with Peter at Antioch. Galatians chapter 2 records that. He rebuked him for stepping outside of the Scripture. But when he says we're not to be judged, he's saying 
that no human judgment is final. He's even pressing this to himself. He's saying, I don't even judge myself. I can't even rightly judge myself. Any of you hard on yourself besides me? I'm putting my hand on. You hard on yourself? Nobody in here. Y'all are just a bunch of laid back humans in this room. I've been hard on myself my whole life. Nobody had to be hard on me. I just internally, it almost destroyed me in the ministry. You take things people would say and I internalize them what I was doing to myself. Thank God for his word. I can't rightly judge myself. I know when I'm disobedient. I know when I'm sinning. I know when I'm outside of the will of God and the word of God. I know those things. I need to repent. But you can't continually be tugging at yourself. But he says in verse 4, listen, I am not aware of anything against myself. As far as he knows right now, there's nothing he, that, that he knows he's outside of God's plan and will. But then he says, but I am not thereby acquitted because I might be. As far as I know, I'm not, but I might be. It is the Lord who judges me. Listen, <laughs> he doesn't say it's the Lord who will judge me. He says, it is the Lord who, present tense, judges me. Therefore, let's apply this. Therefore, do not pronounce judgment before the time, before the Lord comes, who will bring to light the things now hidden in darkness and disclose the purposes of the heart. Then each one will receive his commendation from God. We assume things about people really quick, don't we? We don't ever do this in the church, do we? You don't ever do this about pastors. So, so, and I don't say this with any joy. Uh, the person who did this felt really bad afterward. But this week somebody got upset with me because I didn't respond to them fast enough. And then when they found out, the reason I didn't respond is because my grandmother died and that's where I was with her. We assume real quickly that somebody's ignoring us or not doing something or whatever. Folks, we got to be careful. got to be careful how you pronounce judgment on something you're not aware of and you don't know. We're going to be judged. The Lord's coming and he will bring to light what is hidden in darkness and he will disclose the purposes of the heart. He's going to reveal what's in my heart. In Matthew chapter 25, Jesus gives the parable of the talents. The one with the five talents and two talents come back with five and two more. And Jesus says to both of them this, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter the joy of your master. I've learned something as a pastor that I hope to correct that I won't do again. And that's to stand at a funeral over the top of a casket and say, I know that so-and-so has heard, well done, my good and faithful servant. I don't know that. I don't. It's my prayer and by things I've seen and many faithful followers of Jesus, you would think that would be the case. But I don't know that because I don't know their heart. God does. That means this. There are going to be a lot of successful preachers who don't hear this. Preachers. 
Because he knows the thoughts and the intentions of our hearts. So don't presume on that day, brothers and sisters. So we're accountable servants. We're also gifted stewards. I've applied these things to myself and Apollos for your benefit, brothers, that you may learn by us not to go beyond what is written. So don't add to the scripture. Don't make it say more than it says. Don't don't add requirements more than it is supposed to. That none of you may be puffed up in favor of one another. I have time for this illustration. So, uh, early on in pastoral ministry, I was about to die. And the reason I was about to die, I mean, I physically, I was in my 30s, I was physically in bad shape, uh, is because I was doing everything people wanted me to do. I was running here and there. I was going to birthday parties and anniversary parties and ball games and wherever people, people wanted to pastor and, and civic events and just wherever. I, and I was neglecting what God told me to do. God told me to preach the word and give myself to prayer and study of the word. And I stood up here one day about four years into it and said, I'm going to give myself to study. I can't not continue to do everything you're asking me to do. And I stopped. Now, there were some people angry, and I'm just kind of explaining how I go about pastoral ministry. Because here's what happens. If I go to your birthday party, then the next time you're at church, you, Pastor Jeff came to my birthday party. And then that big green monster wells up in you, and you go, he didn't come to mine. See how we work? We find something to divide and get angry at. We're to give ourselves to the main things, to, to, to focus on what we ought to do. He says, for who sees anything different in you? What you have, you have that you did not receive. If then you received it, why do you boast as if you did not receive it? So in other words, he's going back to the issue. Why follow Paulus? He's the better preacher. And, and Paul's saying, where did Paulus get his gift? Where did it come from? Came from God. Why are you treating him like he's something? It's God's gift. Go over to 1 Corinthians 12. He picks up in chapter 12 and gives an extended explanation about what he raises right here in verses 6 and 7. He says, To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. Each of us, as followers of Christ and members of the body of Christ, Each of us have received gifts from God for the sake of the common good. That is, the building up of the body of Christ and the completion of the mission of God in the Great Commission locally and globally. God has gifted us to this end. Each of us are gifted stewards, and we must all realize, because I'm afraid some of you don't understand this, And here's how I know some of you don't understand this, because sometimes we have to get up here and plead for you to step forward and to serve. You're not just gifted stewards, you're accountable stewards. Do you think God's going to hold me accountable for what I'm doing right now? Listen to this. God's going to hold some of you accountable for what you're not doing. He has given a manifestation of the Spirit in each of you for the common good. 
We'll come back to that at the end. Now he shifts from steward to servant. He's going to use some different words, some different images of what it means to be a servant of Christ. The first image he raises is that we're fools for Christ's sake. Now he sets this up with sarcasm. He's lampooning the Corinthians here. (laughs) And what's funny to me is I wonder if there's not some prosperity preachers that have taken verse 8 and preached it as if Paul really meant this as a compliment when he's actually being extremely negative with them. He says, already you have all you want. Already you've become rich. See, they had a form of prosperity gospel going. You're already rich. Without us, you've become kings. And would that we did reign so that we might share the rule with you. You are so powerful, I can't wait to get to Corinth so I can share in your kingship. Oh, but wait a minute. Let me tell you who we are. While you're ruling and reigning, in terms of the world, we're defeated. We're like an army that's been defeated by the Romans who drug us into the city and paraded us around to take us to the center of the city and execute us. Verse 9, for I think that God has exhibited us as apostles as last of all, like men sentenced to death, because we have become a spectacle to the world, to angels, and to men. We are fools for Christ's sake. So using, using your sensibilities and how you're summing things up in the church and how you've drugged the world's thinking into what's going on in the church, you're looking at me and saying, you're a fool, Paul. You're a fool. Paul says, I agree. I'm a fool for Christ's sake. But you're wise. See the sarcasm? We are weak. (laughs) But you're strong. You are held in honor, but we are in disrepute. And while you sit in your wealthy little houses over there in Corinth, in that port city, thinking how wonderful you are and how important you are to God, we're hungry and thirsty. We're poorly dressed, we're buffeted, we're homeless, so when we get there, we're going to need a place to stay, and while we're there, we're going to have to work. We're going to labor working with our own hands. Something they'd look down upon. Then he presses it further. Here's how we're fools for Christ. When we're reviled, we bless. It's what our Savior did. When we're persecuted, we endure. When we're slandered, we entreat. When we have become and are still like the scum of the world and the refuse of all things. Now, Let me get you the image here. Those last two things, refuse and scum, are basically the same thing in Greek when you break it down. Here's what what Paul's saying. You know that nasty stuff you get on the bottom of your shoe? That's who we are. Stinky, nasty gunk. That's who we are. That's who you think we are. I mean this with all sincerity, brothers and sisters. Paul wouldn't have been allowed to, would not be allowed to preach in most American churches.
we wouldn't have a context for him. What did Paul embrace? Here's what he embraced. John chapter 15, Jesus says, a servant is not greater than his master. Paul grasped this. He understood it. A servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will also keep yours. But all these things they will do to you on account of my name because they do not know him who sent me. Brothers and sisters, we're one of those rare cultures that has existed in the history of the church to where people have been able to operate and live out their Christian faith freely and without intense persecution. But if you're not paying attention, let me say to you lovingly and kindly and graciously, those days are coming to an end in a hurry. Some of you are already having to decide in the workplace. Are you going to identify with Jesus or are you going to keep your job? We're going to have to decide in our communities. Our children are going to have to decide in schools. Are we going to identify with Jesus or make good grades? Are we going to be able to identify with Jesus or stay in our neighborhoods? We are quickly moving to a godless society and every godless society turns on believers. Ask the majority of our brothers and sisters who live somewhere else in the world and they will tell you that it is true. If you pay attention to what's happening in the world, let me tell you what happened as Turkey invaded Syria this week. The first people to lose their lives were Christians. One of the unrecorded things that's going on in the Middle East is the elimination of believers. Those brothers and sisters know what it's like to be scum. Pray for their perseverance. Pray that they would be true to Christ until the very end. Not only are we called to be fools for Christ's sake. We are called to be imitators of Christ. Verse 14, I do not write these things to make you ashamed, but to admonish you as my beloved children. He's being like a father. He's being a good father. By the way, a good father corrects his kids. Young parents hear me. A good father and mother correct their children. That's love. They correct their children. He says, you have countless guides. You have countless people giving you all kinds of things. But you don't have many fathers. You don't have people who really care about you enough to tell you the truth. I became your father in Christ through the gospel. In other words, I was the first to preach the gospel to you. I urge you then. I urge you. I beg you. Be imitators of me. You said that's an arrogant statement. No, it's not. He clears it up in chapter 11, verse 1, when he says this. Be imitators of me as I am of Christ. Follow me as I follow Christ. He expects the Corinthians to imitate, at this point, the things that will end boasting and the factions that are going on among them by imitating Christ, by not hankering for a high status, by accepting the fact they're fools for Christ and following him. He says, this why I've sent you Timothy, 
my beloved and faithful child in the Lord. He's coming to remind you of the ways of Christ, both in how he lives and what he teaches them, teach them everywhere in the church. Then he raises a new issue. He says, some of you are arrogant as though I'm not, I were not coming to you. In other words, they're going to treat Timothy with disdain because it's not Paul. But when I come to you, I will come to you if the Lord wills, and I will find out not the talk of these arrogant people, but their power. For the kingdom of God does not consist in talk, but in power. The power of the gospel to transform. He says, what do you wish? Shall I come to you with a rod or with love and a spirit of gentleness? Now, here's what's going to happen. We're going to go to chapter 5. And chapter 5 is the most scathing chapter in this entire letter, maybe in the entire Bible. Here's what had happened. Everybody get this. When you elevate a preacher or spiritual leaders or somebody in the church, it can be a family. When somebody gets elevated and they take the seat of, of hierarchy and out of arrogance we let them, here's what's coming. Sin. And that sin's going to be tolerated because the people up here at the top are going to protect themselves. It goes like this. Well, you can't say anything to her because she's family. Or it goes like this with a pastor. Well, I can't do anything about that because they're the most generous people in the church. Don't play that card with us, by the way. That won't work. We'd rather do without than tolerate sin here. Brothers and sisters, the arrogance had so taken over that they were tolerating heinous sin in the life of the church. And Paul tells them what to do. We'll get there in two weeks. So for now, how do we apply what we've heard today? Two questions. Are we humbly recognizing and receiving the ministry of our spiritual leaders? And for those of you who are new to Parkwood or new to to. To, to this church and a biblical way of thinking about leaders. I am not the leader of Parkwood. I am one among a plurality of elders. I serve as the lead pastor among the staff and I lead the work on a week-to-week basis and I'm the primary pe- preacher. But I answer to the elders. We answer to each other. We answer to the Lord and to the church. Notice he says, obey your leaders in Hebrews chapter 13. Obey your leaders, not your leader. Obey your leaders and submit to them. Some of you read that and go, man, I can't believe you're preaching on that. Okay. There's one of two groups of people in the room. So when you hear that, obey your leaders and submit to them, you hear one of two things. You hear whatever the preacher says. So y'all need to give next Sunday, not for the lobby. I need an airplane. Now you need to obey the Lord and give generously. When the preacher steps outside of the scripture and gets in his flesh, you don't obey. You rebuke. You obey and submit when they are teaching the word according to the spirit of God to lead you as God's people to be faithful followers of him. So you don't blindly obey. There's another group of people in the room who you've been burned by leaders in the church and you don't respect any of them. I've had more than one person say this to me in my life. I hate preachers. 
I understand. Some of you have been done wrong by preachers. But that does not mean you now take an unbiblical stance of all spiritual leaders. That's not good for you. That's not good for the church. We must get a healthy, right view that we humbly recognize and receive the ministry, which is keeping watch over your souls as those who will give an account. So you're going to give an account for yourself. I'm going to give an account for you. That's why we're so careful in who becomes a member here. We want to make sure you're a follower of Jesus. That you're not just saying you are, but that you are as best as we can see. And then as followers of Jesus together, we don't want to make it so difficult on those who are leading among us that it, that, that it takes away the joy of the work and leads to groaning because this is no advantage to anybody. So we must humbly recognize and receive the ministry of spiritual leaders. Second question, are we humbly recognizing that we are all servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God? All right, if we're all under rowers, here's how I think most of the modern church sees themselves. We're all just kayakers. We all got our own kayak. Everything's supposed to be fun, including church. Everything's supposed to be fun, thrilling. And if I'm not having fun on this river, I'll go get on another river. And while we're kayaking, I can go on ahead of you. I can turn around and go back and run that rapid three more times. Who cares about you? You flip over, you're on your own. Now, if I'm feeling generous, I might help you turn over, but I'm gone. Lord's leading me. No, we're under rowers. We're listening to the cadence from the captain sending down. That's what we're doing. We're doing what he's called us to do. The illustration breaks down of under rowers. Because in the belly of the ship, there's more than one thing to do. 1 Peter chapter 4. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another. <laughs> I've had people say, well, I, I use my spiritual gift in other places. Well, that's fine that you use it in other places, but that's not where you're primarily supposed to use it. You're primarily supposed to use it in the local church to serve one another. That's the intent. Each one has received the gift, use it to serve one another as God's stewards of varied grace. Whoever speaks is one who speaks as the oracles of God. Whoever serves is one who serves by the strength that God supplies in order that in everything God may be glorified in Christ Jesus. So as accountable stewards, gifted stewards, we carry out what God's called us to do. It either falls in a speaking area or a serving area, but we're all servants. And we execute and carry out these gifts so that when we're functioning together, God is glorified. Do you want Parkwood to be a God-glorifying church? Do you? Then if we do, we, gotta have one, we must be a church that has spiritual leaders who function according to the Word of God, by the power of God, to equip the saints of God to join together in the work of ministry of the gospel in the church and through the church to the uttermost parts of the earth. And when we do this, God is glorified. So brothers and sisters, let us humbly respond to him and recognize who we are and let us continue on. So let me say this before I pray. This is not letting you off the hook. I'm speaking to you as a whole. I'm grateful to be here. 
And I'm grateful today that I did not have to preach this sermon as a rebuke. I preached this sermon as a warning. Don't go there. Thanks be unto God that in the main, we find ourselves not battling these things as a whole, as a congregation. But don't you think for a moment that it couldn't happen tomorrow. We must be ever vigilant that we don't allow the world to creep into who we are and dictate who we are as the people of God. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your church. Thank you for this local church. Thank you that you have called us together and that we remain, and I pray we will remain, committed to the word of the Lord, to the proclamation of the gospel, to aligning ourselves in leadership according to your word, of recognizing that we are all called to be a part of the body of Christ and to give of ourselves. So, Lord, convict the brothers and sisters who are inactive and uninvolved in using the gifts that you've given them. And Lord, for those who don't know what they are, may they understand that stepping forward to serve is how you find out. So Lord, I pray you'd move among us and that you would lead us forward. I pray also for those who are not yet followers of Jesus. May they look to the folly of the cross, which seems ridiculous, and may they see that in Christ and in Christ alone is salvation. The one who hung and died in their place for their sin. He and he alone can save. So Lord, lead us now as we respond to you, that may we do so with humility. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Let's stand while we're singing. Thanks for listening to this audio presentation from Parkwood Baptist Church, located in Gastonia, North Carolina. Please feel free to share this message with others. For more information about Parkwood Baptist Church, visit parkwoodonline.org. That's parkwoodonline.org.